Welcome to episode 252 of the Outback Mind podcast. Thanks so much for joining in. Thank you for your feedback for the last couple of podcasts that have come through. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of accolades for Trevor Hendy, uh, 250, um, a lot of deep wisdom in that uh, conversation from Trev, um, which a lot of people resonated with really well. So thank you for your feedback. Now today, I have a beautiful lady that is a gift from uh, for us from the universe. Her name is Tennille Bentley. Um, she's a multi-talented individual. Um, Ex-corporate uh, uh, background, was uh, in Australia's top 100 businesswomen uh, at one point, but basically shifted away from that career to be more aligned with her truth and her calling to be able to help people heal and uh, educate people to be better, more connected human beings. So Tennille um, has done some incredible things in this space. She's a creative director of a uh, uh, symphony orchestra called Encoda. So I really encourage you to Google that, have a bit of a look. It's E-N apostrophe C-O-D-A. Um, they're doing some incredible work to be able to help uh, sound heal, uh, to be able to give people the ability to be able to know what it's like to feel calm and balanced and grounded through sound, and that's available to all of us. Uh, I'm a real believer and advocate of that. I've seen too much evidence of people that have had, um, you know, various imbalances and issues, and sound has been the, the one thing which could bring us all back to, to oneness again. So, um, so Tennille um, also um, is a, a mindfulness expert. She's a frequency musician, as I, as I mentioned, um, basically bringing her, her soul and her soul's energy coming uh, comes through her music. Uh, she's um, uh, very much uh, at the forefront of changing uh, young people's lives with her organisation um, called Elma, which is um, Elma Education. It's basically set up around improving emotional literacy in young people, uh, which is really important. But um, as you know, people that listen to this often, I'm, I'm certainly very passionate about improving it in older people because we've missed uh, missed out. We haven't missed. Uh, we haven't uh, received any of this education. We've been pretty much educate, educated to support the economy. We haven't uh, been in touch with ourselves at a deeper level. You know, we've been sort of trained to sit and think and um, go straight to work and forget about uh, our energy centres and what's uh, what's you know available to us at a greater level. So. Tanila and I are going to go on a bit of a journey today. I don't know where it's going to go, uh, but I'm sure you're going to be in for a pretty uh, inspirational and um, educational conversation that uh, will certainly help you um, be curious and to maybe make some changes in your life, which can potentially help you or those around you as well. So appreciate your feedback. If you want to email me, support at outbackmind.org.au. If you want to maybe have a chat to us about getting an emotional literacy uh, session into your workplace, we will uh, screen Healing healing Men's Minds, which we uh, produce this year, uh, to be able to help um, develop emotional awareness for your employees or your footy club or whatever it may be. Very keen to uh, spread our word um, more broadly. So please reach out via the email as well. All right. Thanks for listening in and uh, I appreciate your feedback. Tanil, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Very, very grateful for this chat. Um, you and I have had some some deep chats before, although we've never <laughs> met face to face. But um, we've we've gone we've gone into detail about our own experiences <laughs> and our own journeys. And um, it's funny how the human mind sometimes it, it used to get in the road because you'd be worried about telling your stuff to people. But when you have a connection with someone, you just tell it. Mm, yeah, it's beautiful the way that can 
organically flow. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's something that um, a lot of people never connect to, uh, I don't think. You know, we're in this sort of sympathetic nervous system mode a lot of our lives where we're blocked from our emotions and uh, mm. we, don't, we don't sort of, you know, go there for fear of judgment or shame or guilt or something. You know, it's really weird. Mm, mm. Well, it's, it's one of those things, you know, it's never been our narrative um, in our generations. So it's kind of, you know, in, the, in this generation, the whole discussion or the awareness, if you like, has just woken up to the consciousness has woken up to the importance of recognising and labelling and expressing those emotions. Mm. So certainly something that we weren't taught in school. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll, we'll go into that a bit bit later with, with what you're doing now and, and everything yeah. in between. But I'd like to know, I haven't had this conversation with you, but I'd like to know about a, a young Tanil, you know, born where, life where, what was it like for you? Yeah, well, it was um, it was definitely a colourful journey. I think my mum described me best as um, uh, always scratching at the door of life, <laughs> because I was very, very much a curious child. I grew, I was born in uh, Takapuna in Auckland in New Zealand. Um, my mum is uh, a wonderful mixture of Maori. Tongan, Samoan, Polynesian Islander and a little bit of, uh, I think, Canadian or something in there. I can't remember. It's a bit of a mix. Mm. And then my, my dad is from South Africa, but he's, uh, his bloodline is French and English, but he grew up in South Africa. So, um, you know, it's quite a mixed, a mixed bag of cultures, which I think was certainly done on purpose at a deeper level so I could connect with so many different mm. cultures around the world mm. through my work and um um yeah but yeah born, born there and um came over to australia about 1985 and uh but yeah mum always described me as you know i was the kind of child that uh the house had to have, have bars on the windows um because for fun i used to run at full speed and use the windows to stop and all she would hear is me these little feet going at full speed smash into the window and then laugh and then run around and do it again so that was you know pretty symbolic of the energy of for life that mm-hmm. i have <laughs> um and i didn't even crawl i just got up and walked you know nine months old so Jeez. you know i think i was very much ready to take on it's a human experience, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in a very full-on way. But at the same time, I think I, you know, I was also uh, knew the kind of environment that I was coming into as well. So, you know, I was very, very much um, one of those many, <clears throat> many children that um, grew up in domestic violence, and um, you know, the 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 one person that I looked to for foundational strength and um modeling was you know um the very the very person that was inflicting uh the physical um abuse in the home Mm. but also then comforting uh you know comforting it at the same time so it was really it was quite symbolic of the duality of the world we live in you know i had i had a lot of love in the house um 
There was plenty of love, sometimes a lot, and then the very opposite, the polarity of that would exist where it would be very, very intense physical violence. Mm. Um, so it was quite confusing. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I had this wonderful experience of love and, and nurturing, <clears throat> but then at the same token, um, you know, my father held an iron fist and, um, and it was very much a... You know, as a child, it was it was quite confusing as to how to how how to then translate that into my emotions and how I was. Um, you know, I remember at the age of ten asking myself, "Why do people do this to each other? Like, why why does this happen?" So at that young age, I was already very inquisitive about human behaviour and why we did what we did. Mm. Um, you know, and so. You know, I went through the traditional path of becoming um, a, a product of that, which was through self-destruction as opposed to hurting other people. Mm. I, I self-destructed. I, I carried a lot of guilt. I thought a lot of it was my fault. And, um, you know, as a teenager, I was um, I self-harmed as a result of that, you know, not understanding my emotions. I just wanted to be out. So from a very young age, you know, mental health, um, you know, because at that age I'd already seen quite intense physical abuse, and then as the byproduct of that, there was um, suicide attempts, and um, you know, a lot of things that happened in the family. Watching that as a child, it, it was very um, there was a lot to uh, translate. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, like how do I translate this into what does this mean for me and my life? Um, as well as having, you know, that fundamental foundation of love and support, there was also these other elements. And I think having that fundamental foundation was the very thing that gave me the ability to have an educated choice on what path I was going to take later in life. Mm. I think if I didn't have that, I'd have a very different um, outcome. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. A um, couple of things that come to me. You and I would have been diagnosed with ADHD if it was around back then. Uh, totally. <laughs> I was thinking about that this morning and um, I thank Christ. But uh, anyway, um, uh, yeah, certainly uh, I, was, I was quite active too. But, um, uh, you know, having those, uh, those impacts on us while our brain's still developing at an early age <coughs> can, really, um, can really disrupt our, 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 you know, our growth into adulthood. And oh, absolutely. I actually got a brain scan done as an adult through because I've been doing some work with um, with the Perth Brain Centre for a documentary around Does Sound Heal, mm. and as a result of that, I got my brain done. And he said to me, "Oh, that's interesting. You know, your amygdala is is um, uh, is ha has." enlarged and your hippocampus is shrunk mm. and i remember because neuroscience is very much a big part of my I, I love neuroscience and i said oh is that like dr norman deutsch's theory on brain trauma injuries and how that impacts the child children that have trauma and then the hippocampus increases because it holds you know basically it's responsible for taking a short-term memory and turning it into a long-term one mm. and so i don't have any memory at all and i said is that why i don't have any memory up until the age of eight and um, it's completely black. And I said, is that because of my brain trying to protect itself? 
through trauma and he said yeah that's exactly what's happening mm. so yeah it, it is it and so to be able to have that scan and show that to people to say this is actually what happens to a brain um you know it, it, that that has ex- a child some some people experience trauma differently you know different but for me mine was my brain reacted in that way mm, yeah. so it definitely has an impact yeah yeah amazing isn't it you know a lot of the work that I've done or been passionate about is trying to help offenders, uh, um, you know, get get back to being a human again. They mm. get they get punished because of acting out on trauma that's not even taken into consideration. Mm. And I think we've really got that ass about, you know, because yeah, there, there's obviously evidence of situations similar to yours. Which are not are not even looked at, you know. If they did brain scans on all of these guys, they would basically see an impact possibly similar to yours as well, because of the traumas that they'd experienced as a juvenile or a, or a young person. Um, this is where we've got a lot of work to do to be able to correct ourselves and correct humanity, um, and actually mm-hmm. acknowledge and appreciate, you know, what's gone on uh, in someone's life and an upbringing to be able to, you know, realise the correlation with their behaviour. Absolutely, yeah, and that's sort of a big part of, I think, you know, our mess becomes our message or, our, our mm. you know, if we tune into that that um, uh, sense of service, you know, I, I, I went through the, 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 the Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, you know, in life and it, cre- and it created the elixir when, um, of what it is that I do now with working with kids to mm. develop those emotion, that emotional awareness so that they do make healthy choices as adults and that came about as a result of me, you know, asking source and, and connecting in and saying, how do I make a sustainable change? Because I'd done a charity for 10 years for domestic violence, but I suddenly realised that the very thing I was talking about was the very thing I was attracting, mm. you know, because our, our words carry vibration. And so I was talking about it all the time and the problem and talking mm. about the problem and talk, and then all I was attracting was that in, in people. Mm. And I was just like, this isn't a sustainable solution. This is a Band-Aid, you know, mm. where we're... Where, where, uh, the wounded healer is healing the wounds of other people. And so it was like, well, I needed to change that. And even though that 10-year project, we touched the lives of, you know, 50,000 children in four different countries and the awareness of domestic violence and helping children have a voice because the biggest thing is not having a voice as a child in that environment. You don't know how to speak out with mm. that, um, you know, and um, and even so much so, you know, I've, uh, I've, as it goes full circle, I'm working with a, with a little boy at the moment who's in a, a very similar situation and he's only about seven and he's already, his brain has already begun to strategize to answer the questions he thinks I want to hear as opposed to what he really feels, you know, and that's already happening because it's a mechanism of protection, of survival. Yeah. Um, and so it's about making him feel safe, that it's okay if you feel upset or angry because most kids in those situations translate anger to whatever, if they're in physical violence. For me, getting angry was a bad emotion. Mm. Um, and it was like if I got angry, it meant, and if anybody yelled at me or if I got into, um, even in my past relationships, if I got into situations where they were, where they were, um, there was yelling, I would constitute that. That would be, that would elicit a trauma response in mm. me that would make me run because I thought that it meant that it was going to equal physical violence to the extent that I experienced mm. as a child. Mm. 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 
but you know it's yeah it's it's an interesting journey but i think part of it has been so healing in doing the work that i'm doing it's been so healing itself mm. even even in doing the charity work i was doing for 10 years there was a point a moment where my father was actually practicing dance steps with my mum to help raise funds for the very charity that I set up because of him. <laughs> because of that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this is full circle, you know, and he started to become educated in that because part yeah. of my philosophy even back then was it's not just about putting people in a perpetrator and a victim bucket. We need to stop doing that. We need to actually put them into a bucket of a human being and, and not – um, so for, for me, it wasn't a charity just supporting women impacted by domestic violence. It was supporting families. It was supporting the people who were who were actually um, committing the violence and looking at why and looking at how we can support them as well. Because so that's where I think fundamentally the system has gotten wrong mm. um, in that we put them and label them into these these categories of people, victim, perpetrator. And, you know, and if you are those, then therefore that's your story. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then it's, it's society will then follow that lead. And it's like, well, no, hang on, we need to, um, you know, peel it back and actually go really deep. And that's why I think the work you're doing with men is so important. Like the, the more I see men circles and, you know, men talking about mental health and men connecting with their heart, to me that offers me such a, such a beacon of hope because that's where it starts. It's like how can we crack open the hearts of an old stereotype that has been and a stigma that has been elicited, especially in the Australian culture, to toughen up, to be, you know, to be to be the, the tough bloke. And it's still very systemic, but it's like it's starting to slowly peel away. Mm, agree, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll just elaborate on that a little bit. I want to go back to your own journey in a sec, but um, yes, you're right. And we're, we're at this moment in time, both of us, for a reason. Um, we, we, we live in a colonised country that's basically had trauma after trauma after trauma and that comes into the individual and that came out in your dad. Uh, he was brought up elsewhere, but obviously, you know, a highly um, volatile environment, I, I dare say, and that just gets passed down. The, the great thing that I love about the men's work is to help an individual realise that they can break a cycle. And once they, they hear that, their ears prick up. And then mm. they're curious and then they start to be empowered rather than disempowered because they can see that they can break our lineage here. And, and particularly if they've got children, they, they start to think, well, there's other blokes around this circle or this in, in this community that have done it, I can do that too. And, mm. and when that happens, it's, it's, it's amazing like how, how independent they become and how, how you know, driven they are to, to make changes. Um, yeah. and it doesn't come from ego too much. It's more like just wanting to better themselves and break that, that, that gap. And I talk about this often. My dad was close to going to World War II. My uncle was shot in World War II. My old uh, grandfather went to World War One. So there's a lot of trauma which came into me, you know, and I didn't, mm. I didn't know how to talk about my emotions uh, at all. Although I innately knew young that when I was young that there was something not quite right with the, the way things were going and the way we're educated and that type of thing, you know, early. But um, there's this intuitive knowing with, with me personally that was there early. It was, it was always sort of there. 
Um, you talk about traumas, and you know I reflect on this sometimes. But you know, by the time I was three, I had a major brain tumor operation. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of trauma there, potentially a lot of healing uh, done there. But I was expected just to be like the normal kids, you know, back in the day. Um, and uh, yeah, I had to toughen up, I had to get out there, I had to do the sports, I had to do all the things. But no one actually, <laughs> yeah, you know, considered what the physical body or the the mind had actually, you know, the brain had actually been through. Um, it's just like, yeah, stitch him up, he's right now, see you later, sort of thing, you know. But um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a fair bit that, that goes on that we don't sort of acknowledge or appreciate. And, you know, my environment getting brought up was, was toxic, I wouldn't say tox, toxic masculinity, but it was a bit of a balance of both. And, um, you know, my dad's behaviour was, he's a very, he was a very gentle, you know, kind-hearted, beautiful soul, but... He was around guys which were, you know, not connected and they were big drinkers and, you know, uh, some of their... And I was exposed to a lot of behaviours which, you know, really had an impact on me getting older. So my my idea of um, being a male was to to go drinking and all that. But Mm. underneath there was this this intuitive knowing that that wasn't right, you know. Uh, And I didn't really want to participate but... That was the only direction and pathway, and I believe a lot of that come from my dad's side because that's what he observed, and his dad probably did, and that type of thing. But it wasn't until I was older that I learned I could break the cycle, and that's where I started to become empowered, and I could see the changes that would have with my kids, and my kids are you know following those positive behaviours rather than the, the negative ones, you know. Um, yeah. And the more that we can do, the more communication we can have around that, I think we could really start to make changes moving forward. Um, the average guy that offends for domestic violence um, is punished, but none of that, um, you know, that reality is, is brought to the fore. And, um, yeah, if we can provide opportunities and spaces for them to heal, then all of a sudden... You know, we can re-divert things and there's no point putting trauma on top of trauma or punishment on top of punishment, I don't think. But um, getting off subject a bit, Tanil, I want to know a bit about Tanil also as a teenager and the destructive behaviours that you were, you were um, getting into back then. <laughs> yeah, well, I think a combination of um, uh, growing up in the environment I did by the time I hit my teens and also getting bullied in school. I was um, bullied in primary school and then bullied in high school. Mm. And um, so, you know, it was just, again, that trauma upon trauma. So I became very internalised and, um, I, like I said, I, you know, I, I started, um, I was probably, a, I was a straight-A student um, and then at about 15, is when I just went, oh, you know, screw this. Um, and that's when the destructive behaviours began and I started um, drinking and, um, uh, you know, I would hide, <laughs> you know, alcohol in my cupboard and I would, um, you know, smoking and just doing things that I knew I wasn't allowed to do um, just because it was my way of feeling like I could, um, you know, I still managed to get A's and B's but I didn't... Um, I just didn't uh, engage as much in in society. I was just I became very um, self destructive, and you know, and then um, managed to still get through high school. But uh, but yeah, a lot of that was just being angry. I was just angry a lot. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know the feeling. 
Uh, yeah. you, you're, you're probably you're, you're in amongst it more now, but I, I just thinking back, I observed that in a lot of kids. Uh, how good would it be if their lives were diverted early when they had the ability to be able to, you know, get some healing done or whatever to, Absolutely. to uh, re- redirect them? And, you know, getting off track a little bit again, one thing that I did a few years back was run a school camp. We used to get the uh, private school kids in, um, highly stressed, highly anxious. I'd teach them yoga at the end of the day and they, they just they couldn't relax. But at the same time, I was also doing some other work in the community and I was teaching homeschool kids and they were just completely relaxed, <laughs> you know. So it just, it just goes to show you um, how, how that is not great. For someone to, to be, you know, expected to be something or, you know, taking a path of uh, performance um, can be a real trap too. Uh, I really, I really love to see kids take a journey of their hearts and their souls, you know, and, and find that path. Yes, we do need, um, you know, medical professionals. We need um, all different types of people to be able to function in society. But if we can help them balance their life out with um, um, relaxation techniques and stress management techniques and those sorts of things which can help them rather than looking to wipe it out with booze or drugs or whatever, which a lot of them do, then um, we're going to start to turn the corner. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. I always ask myself if I had access to the tools I'm teaching t- uh, kids and teens now, mm. um, would I may- have made a different choices as an adult? And I definitely would have, you know, by, by, the, by the time I hit the teenage sort of bracket and then that was just in school but then by 19 you know I was right into the world of drugs um Mm. and you know I did that for about 18 18 months and um you know I actually went in with the intention not to come out the other end that was Mm. how intentional I was about it Mm. um I did not want to be in the human experience because of everything that I witnessed and I just thought if this is all there is to life then what's the point Mm, (laughs) you know that was kind of my philosophy and because I was always very inquisitive and um, some would say, you know, very empath- empathic and sen- and sensitive. You know, I felt a lot. I felt I felt a lot, especially. And then I didn't have the tools to to compute that. And so, for me, it was really, you know, how do I how do I just kind of switch off from this? And so I was very intentional that. Um, and with what I actually. Um, you know, what I actually did to my body, I, I'm really surprised that I came out alive. I shouldn't have come out. Yeah. I shouldn't have come out alive. That was the, the crux of it. But somehow, some, you know, the greater the greater, greater source or, um, you know, um, whatever we, we want to call it, you know, some people call it source energy, some people call it, I now call it, in my, my life now I call it God, um, you know, and... Um, you know, it, it served me, it, it protected me and it, it was teaching me a lesson in that, in that process of self-destruction, <laughs> mm. you know, and I was just like taking, um, it wouldn't let me get off, get off that easy. <laughs> mm. yeah. You know, it was like, no, nah, no, nah, you're not going to get out of, out of this life. Because by that stage, I'd already died um, twice. So I've, you know, I've had, I've had some pretty intense experiences in life and mm. by that stage, um, and you know, so for me, I had a, I suppose, a deep understanding of the human experience, which mm. was why I just thought, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is, you know, when I was nineteen, I was like, well, I'm just gonna, mm. I'm just gonna die on a high, basically, mm. was the goal, was the goal. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but some, but for somehow, by God's grace, I came out alive. 
Well, I sort of seem to think I know why now. And um, I, I had a, a, you know, you get the voice sometimes. And the voice said to me when I was 15, you've got to go through this and come out the other side. Uh, and and um, I, the, the, the number that was coming in then was like 40. You know, you're going to have to go through all this so you can come out the other side. And, and, and that's this, this deep knowing that we have underneath. Yeah, you know. yeah. Mine, mine was 30. Oh, really? Yeah, you were lucky. <laughs> yeah, I got the yeah. same thing. It's like, yeah, 30 was where I was going to. But, I mean, I only I only went destructive for 18 months. So everything mm. I do is, I, I, you know, I go intense and, and hard. And then it's like I only did 18 months and, I, and then I quit everything cold turkey and, mm. and just and then completely... Um, re rejigged my entire life and mm. built, you know, built companies and multi million dollar organizations and things like that. So, you know, mm. it, it took its turn, but yeah, 30 was my number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're fortunate there, that's for sure. Yeah, tell me yeah. this what was the corporate life like, life like for you? Can you give us a bit of a roadmap of what you did, uh, the companies you, you sort of transformed, and, and obviously mm. moving out of that? Yeah, well, coming, coming out of sort of the environment that I did, I, I I remember sitting down with my parents and saying, look, I'm not going to go to university, I'm just going to start working. Because for me, working and doing that meant independence and, um, you know, freedom is one of my highest values. And so I started to work at about 17, or actually 13. I was, I, oh, actually, I started my first business at eight. <laughs> but, um, but um, and I was actually had an employee and <laughs> I was very, very entrepreneurial from a young age. <laughs> so, so I went into the work, corporate environment, um, you know, at this young age and I was, you know, in one one story I do tend to tell is a story of you know coming into a corporate environment for the first time, and I didn't understand the you know the lingo. I didn't understand the uh, it kind of to me just portrayed an adult playground like in 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 school, and it was kind of like the same dynamics but just adult versions. <laughs> you know, you mm. kind of had the clicky groups, and you had all these human dynamics that went on. Um, you know, and there was bullying and there was this and that. And so I, I kind of just went, oh, God, is this really what this is like? Mm. And um, But I remember my one of my first jobs, there was um, these the management team were calling in all the all, – at this stage I was a receptionist, but they were calling in all the admin staff and um, and they were and they were going in and, and being basically told off and then the girls were coming out, some of them came out crying. Mm. So, of course, I was – I thought – like I genuinely thought I was heading in for a fight. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, they're just really upset with everything and the way it's running and so everyone's getting told off. And so I was like, all right, bring it on. So I, I literally walked into the boardroom rolling up my sleeves thinking I was going to have a fight. <laughs> <laughs> So you know the, 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 that that was my default, and I remember at that age even sitting around a table uh, with another family, and I thought something was wrong with them because they didn't argue and they didn't. There wasn't like the father wasn't aggressive to the mother, and I'm like, what's wrong with you lot? <laughs> you know, and then it was like so I was going through this uh, this um, level of awareness. So I walk into the boardroom, and I say, okay, what's going on? <laughs> you know, all of about. 18 years old, 18, I think I was uh, 17 or 18. And so they said, oh, well, you know, the management team are not happy with the way that everything's running and, you know, we just, um, they're, they're really unhappy with it, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I don't know a lot about business, but doesn't it start from the top down? 
And they were like, mm. huh? And they says, well, and I said, well, you know, why are you talking to me? I'm just the receptionist. I said, you need to talk to your management team. <laughs> and then, and then I began to gave them, give them. They, 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 their jaws started to sort of drop open because there's this young, seventeen, brash, you know, <laughs> completely, completely no, no diplomacy whatsoever, just going in rough. And, um, and you know, and then I'm like, well, I could do that, girl. You know, you need to be talking to the admin manager. She's the one that's, you know, causing all the problems. I said, you, you shouldn't be talking to me. I'm just down the bottom. I said, you know, anything in business, it always starts from the top. And I said, so, you know, this girl that's doing this job, I could do her job standing on my head. And, you know, quite frankly, it's an insult to my intelligence that you were actually coming to me and complaining about it. And I'm just, I couldn't believe the, the, the gall that I had to say those things. But they were, jaws were on the on the wide open. And then they began to ask me, well, why, what do you think would make it better? And so I started rattling off all these strategies and things I could do and da-da-da-da-da. And so that was my introduction <laughs> into into the corporate world and needless to say they ended up um i i I didn't want that to happen but they ended up firing the admin manager and and offering me the role you serious (laughs) yeah yeah and and so i didn't take it i said no i said why would i want to work with you now that this is the dynamic i know that happens here Mm. i said i'm not going to work for you but i'll keep the job until i find another one is that okay (laughs) And I had no idea. I had no idea. I was so I was so rough and just, you know, to come from what I come from, you know, we just spoke what we thought. Like there was no mm. filters, you know. I never understood the concept of filters. And so I learned very quickly <laughs> as I made my way through the corporate world. And I think it was only at about 23, I was sitting around boardroom table. I was working at an oil and gas company and I looked around at all these. I was the only girl in the in the room. I was doing just, you know, I was, I was the admin. And I'm like, I could do this business thing. I mean, just look at them. They just keep talking, talking. They're not really getting to the point. And, you know, I don't really, I, I reckon I could do this business thing. So I decided <laughs> in all my, you know, the, going back to the child that runs into the glass windows, I'm like, I'm going to start three businesses <laughs> <laughs> instead of just one. So off I went and started running. So I, I worked around the clock. I didn't sleep for you know, I probably had about two hours, two, three hours sleep a night. I'd get home and I'd work all night on my businesses. One of them was the charity, the Global Good Foundation, working with, you know, domestic violence um, situations and, and working with some of the hardest cases in the system that the, the system would, uh, wouldn't would be able to work with. And we ran mm. leadership camps and everything for them. And then the, the other two were... Uh, a, a corporate event company and a photography company. And so... Fast forward, um, you know, those companies, I think I made half a mil in the first six months and so I left my day job and um, and decided to step into the world of being an entrepreneur and, and you know, that was um, in itself has been it's a massive self-awareness journey, um, learned so much and saw, you know, how I react and respond under stress and where I can improve. And, you know, I ended up building a fast growth tech company that was about two and a half million dollars in under two years and I had 50 staff. And, you know, it was, it looked by all values of society, it looked successful, um, but I was empty in my heart mm. and um, I was stressed out, I was burnt out, I was, I was working 18-hour days. And so I kind of bypassed the traditional systems and ended up sitting on boards at a very young age. 
and um, as often as the only woman. And I was on ASX listed boards. I was on four five hundred million dollar boards, and I was advising and governing these companies because I was an early adopter of social media mm. and technology. And so I was advising and governing some of these largest boards about how they can, you know, move into the that the digital consumer. Um, so it was, you know, it was it was a very different world that I was into where I am now. Um, and you know, uh, but at that point, the thing the thing that hit me was the day that an employee walked through the door and I said, "Can I help you?" And they said, "Oh, I work here." Oh, I see. And I was just. Yeah, and I was like, this is not who I want to be, mm. <laughs> you know, and it was just this moment of, holy shit, who have I become? Mm. And, um, you know, I was burnt out. I was dealing with, like, you know, suicidal um, staff members and, um, mm. you know, there was there was so much toxicity going on and I was just, I ended up just taking myself away for eight days to Bali and I went deep and I was just like, I just, I had to actually, I remember when I turned up, the lady said, are you okay? Because I must have just looked so, <laughs> cooked. Yeah, like, every, every, yeah, I was totally cooked. And I ended up in hospital three or four times from exhaustion and from mm. over overworking, mm. you know. So I was a product of um, what I see, the collective crash that's happening in society with people with, um, you know, with the world that we're living in that's going so fast paced, which is really what changed the to totally changed the trajectory of my life to be a part of the solution and mm. not part of the problem same yeah yeah awesome shit uh, I'll, i like it's when it's not a game of one-upmanship but I, I can't beat that but um <laughs> <laughs> but but certainly um i i love to hear how you uh um yeah you you just woke up but that that mongrel that, that was there still come does it still come in sometimes yeah but instead of a mongrel it's more like a um uh it's, it's kind of i've still got that fire in my belly which mm. is but i have wisdom with it now so and i still i'm still on the journey like i you know i i have to be able to catch myself and mm. know how to balance basically the way that i visualize it is uh, there's this um you know i'm this taurus because i'm a taurian woman so I'm, a, I'm there's this taurus or this bull in the in the paddock and basically what i need to do is i see myself as that taurus or that bull like kind of you know scraping my hooves on the ground and going and you know like <laughs> i'm i'm just like constant you know you know but what my what my soul's journey is how do i how do i harness that using tools that i know now yeah. to be able to calm that 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 energy because i always had so much energy how do i calm that energy and channel it into something where i can be actually more productive yes. um and actually look after my mental health and look after um you know making sure that i um, I take that time and I and I prioritize me because you know the funny thing was in all of that and me being like that, that was a form of self harm. Mm. So the way the way that I was carrying on and going go 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 and you know it seemed on the outside like I was a go getter. People would have put me as that, but really what I was doing was I was self harming myself mm. and committing slow suicide. Yep, yep, hundred percent. Yeah, sounds so familiar. Jesus, you, you're the female version of me. <laughs> I, I, I uh, yeah, same same deal. You know, bloody hell. Yeah. Jeez, we've been mixed up. 
Mm. Uh, and um, and certainly um, some people never never come through. They keep going. I see a lot of lost and lonely men that like keep working hard and going around in this cycle, but yeah. they get to the retirement age and they have to. They want to keep working because they've got nothing else. But mm. um, but. I'm very, very grateful for my particular journey because I did realise... See, I went from stress into stress through, through physical activity and, um, and training hard and competing. Oh, yeah, and all I that. did that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you sort of think you're doing the right thing, but you're putting more stress yeah. on top of yourself. And, um, and what happens is, is eventually you, um, you know, your body will, will, will give you a kick in the ass. But I realised for me when I was training for hours how my mind becomes settled. And how uh, when my mind was settled, I was in a rhythm and I was just part of this big ecosystem rather than my thoughts, my, you know, and, and that type of thing, which were, which were governing me. And when the mind got out of the road, how everything felt like I did when I was a little boy again, you know, back into this, um, into this fluidity and this rhythm. And I got curious to, to, to know why I had to put my body through hell to get to that point. Um, and obviously that came from blocking out, you know, past stuff and traumas and those sorts of things. And mm. I realised then if I started to forgive the people that had, you know, trapped me or, you know, had a negative influence on me, then I started to free myself up. Mm. Um, and the thing is, is a lot of that is, you know, I did the same thing. I trained for bodybuilding. I did, I trained with bodybuilders and I mm. trained and I climbed Everest and not the, mm. up to 6,000 metres. Mm. And, I, you know, I trained my body hard. Yep. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. part of that was sort of, you know, out of curiosity to see how far I could push myself so, um, phys- physically. Yeah. But then at the same token, it's not sustainable. And it was just that same intensity you know, the thing that I got, I did a practice for a year and this was after a huge amount of trauma from a past relationship where I ended up pretty much isolating myself into a very pretty cave in a nice a nice house but I just kind of stuck to myself and I practiced for a year um, how to create the Buddhist, it's a Buddhism practice, you know, like mm-hmm. keeping that, keeping that, um, that center point so not having the high highs and the low lows Mm -hmm. you know because for me that was my life it was either intense or nothing at all and that in itself is manic that's not sustainable (laughs) that that's where it kills the nervous system the adrenals and I had adrenal fatigue and all sorts of you know I did all of this stuff by the way with a chronic illness in my body Mm. Um, so I would I would sleep under boardroom tables in between big meetings like really big meetings you know Mm -hmm. um, just so I could cope so, you know, the intensity of doing that, but not only on a physical level, but on an emotional level, it was like having those high highs and low lows. So I spent a year practicing trying to stay in the middle and not have the high highs and low lows, like not get overly excited about things, mm-hmm. but also not get overly depressed about things. And that, and, and it's so funny because even my partner says to me when things good things are happening, she's like, aren't you excited? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like... No, I'm good. I yes. said, I'll, I'll, you know, I don't get overly, like, silly excited. And mm. it's still good. It, I mean, yeah, it is sometimes you can be childlike and have fun and do those things. But mm. for me, it's a it's a practice because it helps me manage because I know Murphy's Law, the high highs, you're going to have the low lows, yes. you know. So it's how do I balance that? And so that was yes. very much a conscious a conscious practice yes. for about 18 months that I did. And, and part of that I coupled with... Um, voiding myself of any desires so anything that I desired that would 
I would look to to um, whether it be alcohol or sugar or chocolate or whatever it was that I would turn to to help me forget what's going on internally. I stopped myself from doing that. Every time I would go to reach for that, I'd go, no. So I, I avoided myself of human desires as a way to numb or distract myself from what's actually happening. So that was a really intense um, 18 months of my life where I really had to face my stuff, you know, and go into that dark night of the soul. We call it the neutral mind. So mm. so you're, you're balanced and you're not, you're not up or down and... Um, you, 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 that's available to all of us, you know, to, to be able to get into that, that zone and that, 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 um, that, that, that rhythm. Um, your, your, your description is pretty much exactly what I, I experienced as well. Like I, I took myself out of that high-intensity environment into Buddhism and I was made sit on my ass in a, on a cold floor with monks uh, and that challenged me to a whole new level because of the physical discomfort, but also the ability to actually be, be with myself. And I've never been with myself, you know, for 20 or more years um, because I'd always been distracted. Um, but slowly, time by time by time, you know, and keep showing up every day, then you surrender. And when you get to a point of surrender and letting go, then the highs don't come in. I'm the same as you. I don't get excited about stuff. You see for what it is. You might have a bit of a, a moment, then you come back. You know, because you know, yeah. But see, there's there's also a little bit there, a little caveat in there that we've got to watch as people who have been through what we've been through. Is that are you doing it as a way to avoid being disappointed? Because most things in your life have disappointed you. Mm, yes. You know, so it's a dance. It's a dance between the two. Is it? Is it that I'm, you know, not excited because I don't want to get excited because I, I'm I have a fear of being let down. Mm. Um, or is it that I'm using that as a practice? So I think there's even a, there's another level of how do you how do you sort of decipher between where it's coming from? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious about that too as well. And um, certainly, um, I, I have noticed a bit of imbalance in myself recently. But uh, but but yeah, you're right. I think I think it is healthy. But maybe our default system goes back to that distraction where we, we, we cling on to something, an attachment, or we cling on to um, a situation as, as what we perceive as being happiness. But as you know, everything's impermanent. So if you can experience a moment and just get yourself grounded again, I just think you, you, you get more connected with the other energy centers in your body. And, uh, mm. and that sort of helps you, um, you know, get back to that innate balance and innate knowing that we've all got within us and I always sort of you know look at at the end of the life you know where you're going to be at you're going to be in a calm natural peaceful place potentially if mm. you, if, if I can connect to that on a daily basis then I'm sort of you know I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm in, I'm in preparation but I have this ability to be able to be connected to that deeper soul level so you're not yeah. you're not uh, in the agitated mind as much and you're you're not distracted by the um the influences that are out there which can disrupt you and um and Absolutely. Don't, yeah yeah life you know you, you look way back like life has continually tried to disrupt a human from from you know their natural state of being which is calm and um 
the more we can help ourselves get to that baseline on a daily basis and we don't sort of get swept up in the in the soup would you agree yeah i mean i actually when when i was running the tech company that the whole part of why i left it and i've walked away from multi multi-million dollar opportunities <laughs> as a result yeah. um but it was a choice it was like when i get to the end of my life am i going to be proud of the contribution to humanity that i made mm-hmm. and if i drive this ship am i going to look at the end of my life and go yeah i was really proud that i you know plugged everybody into technology and so it ended up making me write this book called digital consciousness which was looking at the uh, it was kind of like a philosophical dialogue looking at how consciousness has been impacted by the digital world mm. now it's not saying we hide in a bubble because i'm very much into using technology as a tool but it's how do you how do you then make sure you don't lose your consciousness in there mm. <laughs> you know that you lose your state of being um and that's why i think there's I, I likened it to when social media first started. It was like toys in a candy shop and we were, we were indulging in all these yummy, you know, fast technologies and same with AI, you know, these fast technologies that are making our world um, or our life a lot more efficient. Um, but we need to use it as a tool as opposed to it using us, you know, and so how do you govern that relationship? And that's why more so than ever, it's been going to be more important for us to know how to unplug, to know how to how to disengage and be centred again because the world of technology is going so fast at such a rapid rate. Mm. We can't hide from it. It's a reality. It's what we've created. But it's we don't we need to have a spiritual maturity around how we engage with that and how we actually still keep connected with ourselves and yes. not lose you know I, I definitely use all those tools for for my business because it accelerates you know what I need to do, but I use it purely as a tool that's it you know and then I separate from it and I have my time away in nature and I do my things that that you know I have my morning practices and I have mm. those things that I do to help me keep balanced and not lose myself completely in yes. it yeah yeah hundred percent. That's stuff they should have taught us at school. Yeah. And, and and that's what you're doing now. But 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 that is so important, you know. Out of out of ten people, how many people would be doing that? You know, not many. Mm. Um, it's only a small percentage of society which is actually tuned in with themselves enough to be able to, you know, commit to that self practice, to that balance, to that not negotiable, which keeps mm. you being who you are. Because, yeah. because if you don't, then you get caught up in the material world or the consumable world or, you know, the distractions and all the shit. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's, um, that's not going to take you on a, into a great place. When you look deep into the bowels of government, you know, I think uh, having people dependent makes, makes good business sense. Um, and the more, more people we can get hooked on something or... <laughs> Or, um, mm-hmm. you know, dependent, then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a bit more control of them. But I think if we can help people get to a point where they're feeling like you describe and they can take control and empower themselves consistently without ego, that they know themselves at a deeper level, then their chances of flowing through life are going to be a lot better than someone that's, you know, distracted possibly. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, and part of that comes with, um, that that connection, you know, and that awareness and self-inquiry is the key, you know. So watching yourself 
you know, as you interact with these other worlds that we have, mm. you know, so how, how, how am I being in this space? But for me, I, I teach a lot about how do you be in a world of doing mm. because the reality is, is we, we're, we're, a do, we're here to um, be of service to the world in some way to humanity. And so once we find that channel and we find that gift that it is that we want to give to the world, um, you know, we also need to establish how do we be in that doing as opposed to stepping away and, you know, maybe spending hours or weekends or whatever doing it. When you get, you know, really into being a servant, it can sometimes be a trap of, um, uh, of you know, overdoing it and not really coming back to the essence of why you're doing it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well said. Well said. That that's true, and we do lose uh, we do lose um, distraction with that, or we are, are distracted with that too, because we get swept away with all the other stuff, but actually like forget about the purpose in the in the um, interim. I, I guess if you can get connected to your heart on a daily basis and and listen to that, I believe we've got three brains. You know, we we don't just have the one above our shoulders. We we have this intuition, which is our gut feel, which is also a key energy center with what we digest and um, and what that feedback does, but a lot of us are unconscious of it, not connected to it. The heart intelligence, uh, heart intelligence is so you know, profound and powerful, we're not connected to that. The mind is uh, is really, you know, the, the key driver, but I think the more we can help people realize that they can disconnect from that, then they start to get a bit more um, mm. you know, aligned with their potential as humans. Um, well, I think the thing is, is that the heart is the governing thing of the mind, right? So they've mm. found through the Heart Math Institute that it first starts in the heart and then the heart sends it to the mind. Mm. So there are definitely, science does prove there are three brain centres. Neurologically, they've shown that there are synaptic connections that, like that of the brain that, that occur in all those three centres. So mm. you're definitely right with that. Um, but yeah, the Heart Math Institute have demonstrated, you know, that the heart will know first before the head even comes into responding to it. Mm. So that's just it. You know, how do we drop from the head to the heart and use that as the governing centre of our choices and decisions? But, you know, for me, it's not getting to the point where I think it's having a balance. And what I found was that with working in my, you know, the the, the 2.5, um, mill company that I built, which was um, the social media company, that was very head focused. You know, that was very much driven by the left brain, the masculine, the head. It was all about survival. And there were so many things there I did. And the person that I was is it showed me who I don't want to be in the world. You know, it was a beautiful description of showing me the contrast that I needed to see in order to be who I am now and and you know so we have to also trust those times where we go through those moments but it's having the awareness of going is that who I want to be remembered at is that who I want people to experience me as you know how do I want to be described when I die <laughs> you know yes. um, you know like how do I want to be remembered those are the moments that govern the choices I make and has you know made me say no to multi-million dollar opportunities because I would take myself to that moment and go, is this something that I would be proud of my contribution to the world of humanity when I'm at my deathbed, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's interesting. Um, it's come to me a few times through the conversation, but 
some of the best work that I did was to go and interview old blokes, um, you know, that were towards the end of their life about life, you know, and, and talk to them about some of the, the key values. And it was never really about their assets or, or uh, you know, any of those sorts of achievements. It was about what they did to, to, mm. to be kind and give to others and to be able to make a contribution to humanity. And that's probably what they're going to be remembered for rather than their material assets, you know. Yeah, but isn't it such human nature that we have to go through the opposite of that to arrive at that? You know, mm. it's just such it's so it's so inbuilt in our DNA that we need to experience the opposite of that to to be wanting to focus on the the house, the car, that you know, mm. and and look, all those things are great. I'm not saying don't don't strive for them, but mm. it's like have an awareness around why you're striving for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and and then how does that then contribute? And it's not just about the self; it's about how does this contribute better? If I achieve these things, how is this going to contribute to the wider consciousness of humanity or to the wider human family? How how is me having this going to going to make life better for the people that I'm going to help? Mm-hmm. Um, when we start to, it's it's that classic Saint Francis prayer. You know, it's by self forgetting that one finds. And that, that always rings in my head whenever I get self-indulgent in my own problems or self-indulgent in in my issues or if things are feeling heavy, I always say to myself, okay, it's by self-forgetting that one finds. So how can I forget myself and, and focus on someone else and focus on being of service? And then that, that shifts that energy into being of service and you, and then it takes you off your, your, your story that you're playing about yourself and your life. Yeah, yeah, well said. You've got to write a book about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so tell me this. Um, there's so much we can bloody talk about. But with, 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 with regards to the work that you do now, um, what is it that, 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 I wouldn't say lights you up, but when, when do you feel a complete peace with yourself when you're operating at that level? Um, I'm, at, I'm always at peace with myself when I know that no matter what happens in the world or no matter how much money I'd make doing it, is that I would still do it. So when I when I know that this is something I would do whether I was paid or not, that's when I know I'm on the right path, and that helps govern that sense of peace. That it's like, yeah, I'm contributing in a way that I know is governed by something bigger than me. The circumstance is bigger than me, mm-hmm. and it's and for me, you know, working um, with the, like I so I run the Emotional Literacy Academy, and we're teaching people from you know as young kids as young as two. All the way up to adults, um, mm. as to how to how to, how to begin to build the emotional narrative around who, why I operate the way I do, and how do we? And then that builds empathy and compassion and resilience, mm-hmm. and um, has the ability to be able to help us connect at a deeper level with people. Um, so I'm teaching them these skills, so then they don't have to turn to suppressants like alcohol or drugs to be able to cope with what they're feeling so it's really getting to the source of you know of the the what makes the human tick and working with uh an education around that that self-awareness that self-management that social awareness that you know really becoming aware of that and giving empowering people to be able to use that as and create an educated choice for themselves as to what they're going what 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 choice they're going to make whether they're going to react or respond to a situation. And that's where, 
you know, it's the gap between stimulus and response that governs how the next part of our life, how we're going to show up in the world, yes. you know, how are, how are we going to choose to react or respond and when we can create that pause and we have the educated backing of how to understand how I work, how do I tick as a human being, you know, that's knowledge is power and no one can take that away from you. That's yes. the key is it, that it's, it's something that they will learn and, it's, you know, teach the man to fish so then he can eat for the rest of his life. It's that kind of philosophy. Um, so for me, governing and doing this work, I find peace in um, the fact that I know no matter what, that the, what I'm doing is bigger than me, it's not about me, and it's, um, it's, it's going to, regardless of whatever's going to happen to the world, if I just keep focused on what my contribution is, I know that in some way I might just move the needle just a little bit even, you know. If I can move the needle to give people tools to make better choices in life, to create different leaders that are more emotionally intelligent mm. as opposed to the leaders we have today, you know, like giving giving that, that's going to shift humanity. That's going to shift the trajectory of how we show up in the world and how the human family connects with each other, mm. um, you know. So that gives me a sense of peace knowing that um, my contribution is going to be doing that and playing a part in that and that and that it's going to have that ripple effect, you know. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing. That's, that's so much more powerful than you designing social media stuff. Totally. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I, I don't want to go off track again too much, but some of the most profound moments that I've, I've, I've had is leading a, a group through a practice which has got them back to their hearts or back to a calm place again. And doing that with highly agitated minds, sports people, you know, criminals that are in jail. One, when, I, when I get to that point, I realise that we're all the same. We're all, we're, yeah. all, we're all a soul on a journey, you know. And yeah. once you, you get rid of all the, all the stuff, there's just this deep connection and just, just this deep peacefulness, which is very hard to describe in a, in a mm. room or in an environment, um, which is just pure, pure, I believe, pure bliss. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. The human word can't – I think the thing that I love about one of my other fields of work, my other hats that I wear is um, with Encoder Symphony Orchestra. And mm. so – what we've done on, you know, music is a big part of my life and we use music as a, as a sound therapy tool to help people get to that point. And I think the thing mm. I love about using that as a tool is that I don't need to use words to try and get people there. It's like I love it because I don't have to be the one talking. I just <laughs> sing and play my music and, and, yeah. and the sound is what actually creates the journey for them. And so I got so deep into it that I decided to get a whole orchestra of 14 string players and tune them down to 432 hertz frequency, which is a different frequency than we're used to listening to, mm. that helps bring calm and, and relaxation. And I'm telling you, the, the responses from people were profound like we've we, you know over 10 years of doing this work i've seen massive shifts in people that i could never have done if i was running a workshop and talking to them about yeah. it yep. you know it's like if, if if i can give them the gift of a way to find that i call it pockets of peace that's that's part of my service to humanity is mm. how do i help people find a pocket of peace mm. using a variety of different tools then you know that to me is is something that can be life-changing for them and it's so transformative to see the impact 
that it's having. I mean, we've we've got Encoder on SBS on demand now, and we've we've toured Australia, and we're you know seeing that people are really wanting this. There's a real ache in society for something to help find um, that doesn't have language associated to it that can give them a sense of that that peace that, that you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's available to all of us. Uh, it's our birthright to experience that too. You know, it's something that we all all innately know. It's our, it's our pure fluidity, it's our rhythm, it's our balance as a human being, it's our gift as a human being to experience that. You know, without the traumas and being attached to the agitated mind and trying to suppress the agitated mind and all that type of stuff, like... You know, it's it's hard work sometimes trying to explain this to a heap of blokes, particularly masculine masculine blokes. But you know, yeah, that's you, why you just get them to listen to some music yeah, yeah, <laughs> instead yeah. of trying to explain it. Just go, okay, lie down, listen to this, see how you feel. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, and it doesn't discriminate, does it? You know, because mm. it doesn't matter what language, what culture you're from, what uh, what your life experience is. Eventually, you'll 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 get back to that sense of peace again, and. Um, uh, I think that's that's obviously why we're having the conversation today, and what's brought us to this point in our lives to actually, uh, you know, get us to a point where we start to deliver this more broadly because we know it works, right? And um, and what you've created is so profound and beautiful. I've I've watched the SBS documentary. I've listened to the music. It's it's just like. Yeah, you know, it's life changing, and it's it's something that um, if we can connect to uh, on a daily basis um, to get us into that zone without thinking or, or listening to words, um, you actually like get back to a sense of calm, don't you? And if you can do it for maybe, I always talk about the forty day mark, six weeks. If you do something like this, you know, to keep you keep you grounded on a daily basis for a period, then eventually it might become you know part of your your, your game. And I think mm. the more connected we can become with that natural state of peace, then all of a sudden that becomes our default rather than sort of getting up and putting the TV on and drinking coffee. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the thing is, is it takes – so the brain, it's just basic, um, you know, well, I don't know if you want to call it physics or neuroscience, but basically the, the brain takes six weeks to form a new synaptic connection. So you mm. need to do something on repeat for six weeks to first of all even introduce the brain to the habit mm. and then for six months on repetition before it becomes a redundant behaviour. So it becomes memorised in the cellular memory of the body. Mm. So, you know, we've got to look at it from that point of view and go, okay, well, if there's something in my life I want to change, the brain has already mapped itself and it's solidified into your subconscious behaviors by the age of probably about i think uh nine it's when the frontal lobe switches on and then and then by about you know by their teens and even um later in life even in the 20s or something every everything is by about nine years old everything is 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 formulated in the brain on a subconscious pattern behavior Mm -hmm. and the only way that we can actually change that is through two methods it's either through emotional trauma because when you go through that it changes you as a person or repetition so if you do want to change your situation or your circumstance well start there just go okay well this means i have to commit to six weeks of repetition and then six months of 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 daily habit changing to be able to make it 
in my brain a new subconscious pattern as opposed to the old one that I've been having. And that's hard. Like some people, you know, try quitting chocolate or try quitting, um, you know, for blokes might be try, try to quit drinking or anything that you're hooked on. It's, it's, a, it's a potential assignment for you to retrain and, re and change the current reality. If it's not serving you, then how do you start to govern that change? And it starts with understanding how the brain maps those mm. changes and it's, and it's done in that way. So, mm. um, you know, we're all, we all have a level of addiction to something. So that, what we've got to ask ourselves is, is it serving me? Do I feel good or does it make me feel bad? Mm. And if it makes you feel good, then sure, okay. But does it long-term make you feel good? Maybe not. So it's just looking at what those addictive behaviours are. And then how do we start to govern that change? And, and and it will be like falling off and jumping back on the bike and falling off and jumping back on the bike um, because the brain is trying to make that connection and it's so used to the old pattern mm. that it just defaults back to that, that old behaviour and it's way too easy to do. So, yeah, if it was easy, everyone would do it. But, um, <laughs> it, takes, <laughs> it takes a bit of practice. <laughs> you, you go way back into yoga and they talk about it, they, they, the words jump, so repeat, 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 mm -hmm. you know. And um, uh, my teacher gave me a practice and it was like, you know, 40 days, 120 days and 1,000 days. And 1,000 days you really, you know, you master, master it. And um, that's a foundation for me, but I do other things around it. But, but. Yeah, I think if you've got a blockage or a challenge to do something which gets you out of that funk, um, can really, really, really help you move forward. We don't want to be trapped in these, you know, lifestyle behaviours which um, which take us away from being our our you know best and our and reaching our pure potential. I, I don't think. You know, you talked about waiting to the end of your life and, and some of the things, you know, that you experience um, now which can benefit, you know, that when the time comes. But I think if we can start to do these things and realise, you know, particularly for men, that every seven years our bodies do change and we do have um, our new needs, you know, within our ecosystem and our nutritional system and all those sorts of things to adapt rather than react, um, then I think we can start to be on a bit of a, a journey um, uh, of being connected again and um um it's it's yeah there's, there's no roadmap for this sort of stuff or well, there is but a lot of us ignored it but um um but yeah a couple of key things there you know the the ability to be able to change your situation whether it be good or bad and be able to you know move into another dimension is, is available to all of us we're just got to you know put in some work and, and keep coming back to you know the determination which actually takes keeps us and, and helps us drive forward um but yeah i i really um i really hope that the sound work you do and the encoder stuff can reach more people because um you you've you've, you've felt that benefit and you you know that benefit and i just think um yeah the more that we can showcase to 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 humanity um i think the better yeah, absolutely. Mm, that's interesting. So what, what what's the plans moving forward with regards to all that? Um, yeah, so next year is probably looking at um, getting some more tours going so we can go more over east or even regional tours would be great so people can mm. experience it. 
um, and then internationally we, we want to um, you know do some work internationally with the with the orchestra and take that work and we're also working with um, Murdoch Uni and UWA and actually like quantifying some of the outcomes of this work and how it actually impacts and helps um, people from um, a stress factor you know anxiety stress anxiety um, and working as well with a collective group of, um, of medical practitioners that are using our work now in, in for trauma patients and for PTSD and things like that, and they're finding they're having great results. So sort of, you know, it, um, adding to that, that's one part. And then for the Emotional Literacy, or we call it ALMA, ALMA Emotional Literacy and Mindfulness Academy, ALMA mm. um, Education, we're, we're rolling out um, our early childhood programs next year and we've also got international school programs for getting it into curriculums in the school system. We've been working with the school in Mumbai um, with about a 1,000 kids there. So expanding beyond that as well is, um, is a really core focus. Mm. And then launching the preview of the Does Sound Heal um, documentary is also another, um, another aspect of what um, is coming next year. <laughs> mm, heaps. That's amazing, yeah. amazing. And, yeah, you know, watch this space with regards to all that because if people can become connected with what you do, and, and learn and grow with you as you, you go on the journey, then, you know, that's not only going to impact them, it's going to impact a lot of other people around them too, you know. Um, mm. And with regards to sound healing or using sound therapy as a tool, what, where, where would you suggest that someone starts with regards to getting an instrument or something? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for practical applications of what they can do to, you know, um, start to experience that, I always say, you know, especially if you haven't gone into it, then just sort of start small, you know, like so start by even just checking out some, um, you know, some of the stuff on Spotify. I've got some guided meditations that can introduce you to, um, you know, to the, the experience um, and then kind of organically let it flow for you. Um, if you feel called to having your own instruments and, and starting to explore that, then, um, you know, the, I always say the instruments will choose you and you'll know which ones resonate with you, whether it's a drum or whether it's a, um, you know, um, flutes or uh, whatever it might be, you know, that, that, that resonates for you. It's just trusting in that you'll be guided through that process. Um, but, yeah, I think at a start, if you're really new to it, just start a 10-minute daily practice even. Um, you know, you can, set, you can find me on Spotify and I've got a whole bunch of different tracks and it's just listening to some of that music and exposing yourself to it um, and then looking at how you can incorporate that into your daily life you know some people will start at 10 minutes and then they'll start going deeper and then they might do the go on SBS and do the 60 minute journey um, you know and and sort of just starting to explore how your body is responding to that work first because you know, um, that's sort of where it starts and then you can basically go from there about explore, exploration of instruments if you feel called. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, personally for me, getting a bowl, a singing bowl and putting it on my belly or my chest and tapping that for, you know, five minutes or more just gets things working again, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if someone can disconnect and just, just beat a drum, tap a bowl, whatever it is to, to help them, the down-regulate the nervous system, I think it could be really profound for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you know what, Tanil? we're about to run out of time with regards to what I'm able to, to capture here. So 
We're going to have to get going, but what's the best way for people to, to reach out to you and, uh, and look at your work and, uh, and websites and that sort of stuff? Yeah, they just uh, if they just go to Tennille Bentley, T-N-I-L-L-E, Bentley, B-E-N-T-L-E-Y.com, that will, pretty much everything will be on there. <laughs> yeah, and you've got, there's a website for Encoder and all that as well, yeah. and Alma? Yeah, that'll be, that'll be on the Tennille Bentley website, but um, Encoder's EncoderMusic.com. Um, E-N-C-O-D-A music.com and then Alma is Alma Education E-L-M-A education.com yeah, um, So, so yeah. Any, anyone listening to this I really encourage you if you've got kids to look at Alma um, if you're in the education system have a look at that and maybe look at um, potentially getting some of Tenille's work into your curriculum in your school or your community or whatever because I think it can have a profound effect on young people but you know, as, as, as you and I have discussed, I believe this is stuff that has um, got to be got to be taught to, to everybody, yeah. you know. We've got it in regional, um, some regional schools already, which has been great. So, yeah, be able to, to be able to break that pattern um, is part of it. And then, you know, we also have Alma for um, adults as well if they want to educate themselves. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Awesome. Thank you very, very much. I'm looking forward to the next time we, we possibly do one of these and looking forward to 2024 and the great work that you're going to be able to do. So watch this space, I reckon, for you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it and I really witness and, and honour and see the work that you're doing um, and, um, yeah, just, you know, a, a huge amount of gratitude for what you're doing um, in your lane as well. It's, it's powerful and potent and needs to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you.